0: Lesson 7 for November 9 to 15, Our Forgiving God. Sabbath afternoon, November 9. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that at any time we can come to you and you will forgive us. We thank you that that forgiveness is so important in our salvation because of the death of Jesus. And as we look at this subject this week, as we look at your forgiveness, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. May your word speak to us, and may we know you as our, not just our God, but our our friend, our maker, and our saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our memory text this week is Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Let's read that again, Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. After the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, was finished, the leaders again gathered the people. They had just spent time celebrating. Now it was time to return to the unfinished business of confession and repentance before God for their sins. Yes, earlier the leaders had told them to stop grieving and being sad over their faults. But that doesn't mean mourning and confession are not important. Thus, now they had celebrated the festivals, it was time to go through proper confession. The order of events presented here doesn't necessarily mean that it is the sequence in which rejoicing and confession are always done, nor does it mean that only the reverse order is to be followed. Although we may naturally follow the order of confession first, followed by celebration, perhaps the celebration of God in our lives should come first. After all, Romans 2 verse 4 tells us that it is the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. This goodness, then, should evoke praise and feasting, while also reminding us that we need God to forgive, cleanse, and recreate us. Romans 2 verse 4 reads, And do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to to Repentance. Sunday, November 10, Fasting and Worship question read nehemiah nine verses one to three why were the people separating themselves from all foreigners nehemiah nine beginning at first one now on the twenty-fourth day of this month the children of israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads then those of the israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the lord their god for one-fourth of a day and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the lord their god although nehemiah was eager to make sure that the people associated this time with joy he now led the assembly to fasting. They humbled themselves before God and threw dust on their heads while wearing sackcloth. Because the foreigners didn't have a share in the corporate sin of the people of Israel, the Israelites separated themselves from them, as the Hebrews knew that it was their sins that needed to be forgiven. They acknowledged the sins of their nation, which had led them into exile. Their corporate prayers and confession demonstrated a deep understanding of the nature of sin. The Israelites could have been angry that their predecessors messed up and led the whole nation into exile, or they could have spent time complaining about the choices of their leaders and the lack of godliness displayed by the previous generations, which had led them to where they were right now, just a small group of returnees. However, instead of harbouring hatred and grievances, they turned to God in humility and confession. Nehemiah 9.3 reports that the people read from the book of the law for a fourth of a day, and for another fourth they confessed sin and worshipped God. This is the third reading of the Torah. Reading the Torah is central to confession, which must be based on the truth which comes from God. Through our reading of the Bible, God draws near to us, and the Holy Spirit can speak to us and teach us. The truth of His word moulds our thinking and understanding, encourages and lifts us up. The Israelites also sorrowed and wept, because... Spending time in God's holy presence makes us aware of His beauty and goodness while impressing upon us how amazing it is that the Creator of the universe chooses to be with us, even despite our unworthiness. Thus, we realise that, without God in our lives, we are no different from any of our spiritual ancestors in the faith. Only with God working in us can we be who we should be. And so to finish today, read Daniel nine four to nineteen. In what ways is his prayer applicable to ourselves today? What should the reality of this application say to us individually and as a church? So let's read now Daniel nine beginning at verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments." Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against Him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us, and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem." As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and made yourself a name, as it is this day— we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to sigh, on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your namesake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. MONDAY, NOVEMBER 11, BEGINNING OF THE PRAYER The response of the people to the Bible reading was a long prayer that recounted the goodness of God in contrast to the history of Israel's faithfulness. One can observe that the reply is more like a sermon than a prayer, because almost every sense has a parallel somewhere in the Bible question read nehemiah chapter nine verses four through eight what are the main topics the prayer focused on in these beginning verses and why nehemiah nine beginning at verse four then jeshua bani cadmiel shebaniah boni Sherabiah, Bani, and Chennai stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherabiah, Hadijah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the oven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham you found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the canaanites the hittites the amorites the perizzites the jebusites and the girgashites to give it to his descendants to have performed your words for you are righteous In the first part of the prayer, the people bless God and specifically His name. In the Hebrew culture, a name was not just what people called someone, it gave a person his or her identity. Thus, the praise of God's name is significant because it demonstrates to the world that this is a name worthy of praise and honour. This is the name of the Creator of the universe. The prayer begins with worship to God as the Creator, and as the One who preserves everything, as we read in Nehemiah 6, You alone are the Lord, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you, and Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, For by Him All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The word preserves comes from a Hebrew verb that means to keep alive. The one who created everything is the one who chose Abraham, a human being, who was not in any way special other than that his heart was faithful. Abraham may seem to have lacked faith on many occasions, but when asked to give up his son, he didn't falter. As we read in Genesis chapter 22. And I'd like to read the story here right now, Genesis 22, beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went down to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. He learned to be faithful, not overnight, but over his long walk with God. In Hebrew thinking, the heart refers to the mind. In other words, Abraham developed faithfulness in thought and action and was acknowledged for it by God. The first few phrases of the prayer focus on God as 1. Creator 2. Preserver and 3. Promise Keeper The people first remind themselves of who God is. He is the faithful one who has created us, preserves us and always keeps his promises to us. Having that in mind helps us to keep our own lives in perspective and to learn to trust him even in the most difficult situations when it might seem that he is distant from us and unconcerned with our challenges. And so to finish the day, Why is the doctrine of God as our Creator so central to our faith? After all, what other teaching is so important compared to this one, in which we are commanded by God to spend one-seventh of our lives every week in remembering Him as our Creator? Tuesday, November 12, lessons from the past. Question: read Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 9 through 22. How does this part of the prayer differ from the first part? Nehemiah 9, beginning at verse 9: You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself, as it is this day, and you divided the sea between before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep, as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road, which they should travel." You came down also on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But... They and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you were God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them." Even when they made a moulded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. A pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manner from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst forty years you sustained them in the wilderness they lacked nothing their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell moreover you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts so they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. The prayer transitions from praising God for his faithfulness to recounting the contrasting unfaithfulness of the Israelites in their Egypt and wilderness experiences. It outlines all the different things God gave the Israelites, but unfortunately The response of the fathers to those gifts was pride, stubbornness, and disregard of God's gracious acts among them. The acknowledgement of human failure and lack of true devotion to God is an important step in confession and repentance. And even though these texts are talking about people long removed from us... No one can deny that every single one of us has a problem with those same issues. Of course, here is where the gospel comes in for us as well as for them. Confession of our sins does not save us. Only Christ's sacrifice in our behalf does. Confession, along with repentance, is central to our own acknowledgement that we must be justified by Christ alone, as we read in Selected Messages, Ellen White writing, book 3, page 191, when, through repentance and faith, we accept Christ as our Saviour, the Lord pardons our sins and remits the penalty prescribed for the transgression of the law. The sinner then stands before God as a just person. He is taken into favour with heaven and, through the Spirit, has fellowship with the Father and the Son. At the same time, because His goodness causes us to confess our sins and repent of them, we must be determined by God's power to forsake them as well the bottom line is that Israel had been stubborn and God had been loving. Looking back at what God did for the Israelite nation reminded the people that because God had done so much for them in the past, He would continue to take care of them at the present moment and in the future. That was why it was so important for the people always to remember how God had acted in their history. It was when they forgot that they got into trouble. So to finish the day, think back to times you were certain that God had been working in your life. How can you draw comfort from that for yourself the next time you face struggles? How can you better learn to trust in the goodness of God amid times you feel completely discouraged, let down, and fearful for the future? Wednesday, November 13. The Law and the Prophets. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 31. How are the Israelites described in comparison to God's great goodness? As in verse 25. Nehemiah 9, beginning at verse 9. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land, which you have told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet, When they returned and cried out to you, you heard them from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and testified against them, that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly, and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them, and testified against them by your Spirit in your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for you are a God, gracious and merciful." This next section of the prayer sermon focused on life in Canaan as the Israelites possessed the land that God had given them. They had been handed land, cities, vineyards and fields ready for use, but they had taken it all for granted. At the end of verse 25, we are told that they ate and were filled and grew fat. Growing fat is an expression that is found only a few times in the Bible. Deuteronomy thirty-two fifteen and Jeremiah five twenty-eight and each time it has a negative connotation. Let's look at those. Deuteronomy thirty-two verse fifteen. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat. You grew thick. You are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. And Jeremiah five twenty-eight. They have grown fat. They are sleek, yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper, and the need of the needy they do not defend. The people might have delighted themselves in your great goodness, but theirs was a delight in all they had instead of a delight in God. Apparently... Having everything doesn't produce a close walk with God. Many times we think, if only I had this or that, then I would be happy. Unfortunately, we see that the Israelites had everything from God, and yet their happiness in those things only made them less devoted to God. It's too easy for us to focus on the gifts while forgetting about the giver. This is a fatal deception. Of course, this doesn't mean that we cannot be happy for the things that God has given us. He desired that we rejoice in his gifts, but this joy in the things he gives doesn't guarantee a relationship with God. In fact, if we are not careful, these things can become a stumbling block. Nevertheless, in this chapter, the leaders now confessed the ways that they had been unfaithful to God. As they looked through their history, they specifically named transgressions they had committed as a nation. A couple of aspects emerge as especially important because they are repeated. 1. Israel cast God's law away, and 2. They persecuted the prophets. In other words, they realised that God's law and his prophets were essential to their development as a godly nation and as individuals. The prayer emphasises this conclusion by stating that "...if a man does God's commandments, he shall live by them." Nehemiah 9, verse 29. That's a direct quote from Leviticus 18, verse 5, which reads, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And by highlighting that, it is the Spirit that spoke through the prophets. God has given us his commandments for an abundant life— and he sent his prophets to guide us in our understanding of his truth. What we do with these gifts is the essential question for us all. Thursday, November fourteen. Praise and petition. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter nine, verses thirty-two to thirty-eight. What is the focus of the conclusion of the prayer of confession? Nehemiah nine, beginning at verse thirty-two. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, Do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt Faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers, have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them, for they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them. Nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us, because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Once again... The prayer turns to praising God for who He is, great, mighty, and awesome, one who keeps the covenant and has mercy. They seem sincere in their acknowledgement of God's goodness to them. They also bring a petition in the form of making a covenant with God, which is described in detail in chapter 10. What is their petition? We read it in verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seems small before you that has come upon us the community has a to pay tribute to the kings who are over them oppression from every side is plaguing the small company of israelites and they are tired of it they have had to endure one tyranny after another and they are hoping for a reprieve interestingly they call themselves servants After outlining the infidelity of their nation, they end by referring to themselves with that word. Servants, of course, obey those who are over them. The use of this term, then, implies that they realise they need to obey the Lord in ways that those who come before them didn't. This is an expression of their desire to be faithful to the Lord and His commandments, and, as servants of God, they are asking Him to intervene in their behalf. The community of Ezra and Nehemiah describe their current experience as being in great distress, in verse 37, which can be compared to the affliction the Israelites experienced in Egypt, which we read yesterday in Nehemiah 9.9. Their prayer praises God for seeing their affliction in Egypt and not overlooking it. The community is now asking God to intervene just as he had in the past, even though they didn't deserve it, because no one—kings, princes, priests or prophets or fathers—was faithful. Thus, they are relying only on God's grace and mercy to them, and not on themselves or in their ancestors' works, in hopes that the Lord will intervene— in their behalf. And so, to finish today, read Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. How do these texts reflect what the Israelites were asking of God? What comfort can we draw from what the Israelites were asking and what Paul was saying in Romans? Romans 5, beginning at verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friday, November fifteen. In Nehemiah nine, verse twenty-five, the Hebrews talked about how their ancestors delighted themselves in God's great goodness. The verbal root is the same as the name Eden, as in the Garden of Eden in Genesis two fifteen. Perhaps the best translation would be they Edenized themselves. If only Edenized were a verb. The gospel is, after all restoration. And what better symbol can there be than Eden to represent what we are ultimately to be restored to? God raised up the Hebrew people and brought them to the crossroads of the ancient world in order to create the closest reflection of Eden that could exist on a fallen earth. Even after the captivity and return, the potential was still there, as it says in Isaiah 51 verse 3, For the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places, he will make her wilderness like Eden. Yes, the people enjoyed the material blessings that the Lord had promised them, blessings that, to whatever degree possible in a fallen world, were reminiscent of the abundance of Eden. And that was fine they were supposed to enjoy them god created the physical world precisely in a way that humans could enjoy and ancient israel blessed of god enjoyed it too their sin was not in edenizing themselves in god's great goodness but in forgetting the Lord, whose goodness they were enjoying. As we read in Ezekiel 23, verse 25, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Because you have forgotten me, and cast me behind your back, therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. The blessings became an end in and of themselves, instead of a means to an end, which was to reveal God to those around them. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Jesus had said, Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Matthew 13 verse 22 What does he mean by the deceitfulness of riches? And how does this relate to the prayer of confession that we studied this week? 2. Dwell again on the doctrine of creation. Notice in the prayer of Nehemiah 9 that they always immediately talked about the Lord as creator and sustainer. What does that tell us about how foundational this doctrine is to our faith? And 3. How do we strike the right balance in acknowledging our inherent sinfulness and yet, at the same time, not allow Satan to use our sinfulness in ways that could cause us to be discouraged and to give up our faith entirely? Inside Story Present for Uganda's President And it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission Seventh-day Adventist Church President Ted N.C. Wilson was thinking about religious literature when I arrived in a hotel lobby in Uganda to accompany him and other church leaders to a meeting with the African country's president, Yoweri Museveni. I have a pen for the President, Pastor Wilson told church leaders, referring to a special pen engraved with the name and logo of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But do you have some books for him? I spoke up. I have a nice-looking colour Steps to Christ up in my room, I said. Glancing at his watch, Pastor Wilson urged me to hurry upstairs for the book. As I rushed to my room, I marvelled that I had packed the book in the first place. Two weeks earlier, I shook my head, no, when my father asked whether I planned to take any sharing books on the trip. I explained that I'd taken five copies of Steps to Christ on my previous trip to Russia, and had struggled to find any takers. "'You should take some books anyway,' my father insisted. Reluctantly, I bought five copies of Steps to Christ at the Adventist Book Centre in Keene, Texas, but the books hadn't satisfied my father.' "'Will you take a new Bible too?' he asked. "'I often buy a new Bible before a trip "'just in case I'm asked to give a sermon, "'and then I give it away. "'I prefer to read the Bible on my cell phone, "'but I don't like to hold my cell phone while preaching.' "'No need for a Bible,' I told my father. "'I won't be preaching.' "'My father had not been deterred. "'At his insistence, I bought a black leather "'New King James Version Bible.' In the Ugandan hotel room, I remembered the Bible and took it and the steps to Christ to Pastor Wilson. A short time later, President Museveni welcomed us to State House Uganda in Entebbe and immediately plied Pastor Wilson with questions about why Adventists keep the Sabbath on Saturday. Pastor Wilson gave a short Bible study and later appealed for the country to abolish Saturday exams for Adventist students. To his delight, President Museveni agreed to look into the matter. Pastor Wilson presented the engraved pen to President Museveni and suggested that he could use it to sign important documents, or more important, to underline verses in the Bible. Then he handed over the Bible and steps to Christ to President Museveni, left, and there's a picture of him here on the left, who smilingly raised them for the guests to see. That evening, I excitedly called my father on Skype. Thank you for listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I said. Now in my travels, I always carry a brand new Bible and copies of Steps to Christ. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. It is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department, and through the services of Christian Services for the Blind. A video of this podcast also occurs on YouTube. Remember, God is always faithful.